Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. being a parent is like you are just trying not to mess your kids up in the same way that you were messed up by your parents uh-huh. therefore you just find brand new exciting ways to mess them up <laughs> yeah that yeah. reminds me so much of like steven universe where steven gets mad as, at, at his dad because his dad raised him to be all free right like he didn't really put a lot of restrictions on him didn't right. really take care of him like by taking him to the hospital or even like a proper school and his that was his dad's way of like compensating for the way he was raised, which was like very strict, like in a kind of rich household. So, you know, school, no going out late, like all those things, which, you know, kind of swinging one way in the other direction is almost as bad as, you know, the initial one. But it's yeah. such a it's such a tricky balancing act that I'm happy I don't have to do. Yeah, it's it's it is tricky. And so is um, it trickier than rocking a rhyme? No. Because <laughs> that is, as you'll recall, tricky, 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 tricky. That's parenting. Right. Parenting is this just is only tricky. one tricky. Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it's a combined tricky no matter what number of children you have. You yeah. see, it's, you know, they're all bundled. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's even trickier when you try to rock a rhyme on time. It's tricky. <laughs> tricky, tricky, tricky. All right. All right, uh, I think we've we've hit our our uh, allotment. Our, one of more R, and we could have one more R, and we could have been a very excellent movie. <laughs> oh, such a good movie. Anyway, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where we have opinions about a lot of things, but mostly comics, but also other things like parenting and Run DMC singles. My name is Stephen. I've got John and Aldo with me this evening. You guys ready to talk about some X Men comics? Yeah, because I can't, I can't force a uh, reference to another pop song from decades past in this moment. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm ready to. Oh, walk. I'm sure you yeah. could. I'm ready to walk this way. <laughs> See, it's the worst. Dang it! I mean, it, it works because they did that collab song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You get you that's a crust. You get several, you know, audiences there. It's not just run yeah, DMC mean, fans. I say works, but like very loosely defined. <laughs> it is a thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about. Um, I don't know if these are the saddest X Men stories, but they're at least in the conversation for saddest X Men stories, right? Most they're definitely, definitely bummers. Yeah, yeah, certified bummers. Certified bummers. I have very strong opinions about at least one of these books. Well, I have very strong opinions about both of them. Let's see if they line up. Where do we want to start? Does it matter? I'm just sad. Yeah, normally I would suggest, (laughs) like, let's go with the sad one first. But, like, do we want to go with the less sad one second? I think, yeah, the less sad one is probably second. And so I think that means we start with... God Loves Man Kills, because at least the worst X-Man ever has jokes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who boy. So, God Loves Man Kills is a classic from the Chris Claremont era 
of Marvel Comics. This was, there was a line of Marvel graphic novels for a while. And this was the fourth or fifth of those, I believe. Anyway, it tells, so this was uh, written by Chris Claremont, uh, illustrated by Brent Eric Anderson, who's, that's not a name I know. Letters by Tom Orzakowski, colors by Steve Olaf, uh, and edits. The editor is Louise Jones, who is Louise Simonson, who at the time at least was married to Walt Simonson. I'm not sure if they were still together. Uh, but yeah, Wheezy Simonson, big, big, notable figure. Very, very prominent, uh, like... One of the largest looming women in the history of, at the very least, mainstream superhero comics. She's she's quite notable. Anyway. As tall as King Kong. So tall. Looming. Yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so God Loves, Man Kills tells the story of a rise in anti-mutant prejudice driven by the actions of William Stryker, a militant televangelist who, in flashback, we learn, had a, uh, like, he was married, his, his wife, and he got in a car accident. She was in trouble and was, like, dying, delivered the baby on the side of the road. Baby turned out to be a mutant. And so he staged, like, an auto fire and pretended to have all of them. Like, he, he was going to, like, die in the fire and his wife and... His baby, who was alive, he was going to kill them all. Uh, the, the explosion blew him clear, and he's so racked by guilt over this that he, he kind of convinces himself that, you know, it's his, his spiritual calling to rid the world of these aberrations in, in uh, you know, it's his job to kill all the mutants because they are an affront to the image of God. And so he starts up this big uh, religious movement to vilify mutants, to persecute them, and ultimately to kill them. He kidnaps Professor X, Cyclops, and Storm, and brainwashes Professor X into killing Cyclops and Storm. Meanwhile, uh, we've got the other X-Men, Kitty Pride, who's going by Ariel at this point. I remember that was a, a bit from Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men that, that Kitty Pride tended to change her costume and her name on the regular uh, currently going by Ariel. Anyway, Kitty Pride, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine are trying to figure out, you know, what happened to Professor X who, who kidnapped him. They uh, confront the uh, agents of William Stryker. These are the purifiers. And eventually wind up teaming up with Magneto to try to stop Stryker. And Magneto's story here is particularly resonant. We probably know this. It's It's almost cliche at this point to bring it up, but Bagnito is a child of the Holocaust. He was a Jew, he was in the camps, and so when he sees the sort of violent rhetoric that Stryker endorses, it, it sets him off, and he teams up with the X-Men to stop Stryker. Uh, turns out that Wolverine, or, uh, excuse me, turns out that Cyclops and Storm were not actually killed. Professor X was enough in control of his faculties that he was able to uh, kind of shield the blow, so it just made it. He just made it look like they were dead. They were able to revive. They all team up. They fight against Stryker. Uh, wind up having a big confrontation with him on stage, on camera, while he's in the middle of giving this massive uh, rally at Madison Square Garden. 
uh, striker like winds up turning on some of his hench people. Uh, the woman who's been assisting him this whole time turns out to be a mutant, and so he shoves her off the podium, and she dies. Professor X, like, there's this uh, neat little trick where Cyclops and Wolverine and Nightcrawler team up to distract Professor X long enough for him to break his spell. Uh, Stryker gets confronted. He, he, there's the really powerful scene. It's one of the most important panels, I think, in the entire story where Cyclops and Stryker are arguing. Cyclops is trying to persuade him, you know, we're mutants too. We are also created by God and... Or we're also humans, too. We're created by God. And Stryker says, human? And he points at Nightcrawler. You call that thing human? And then Kitty Pride gets in his face. Stryker pulls out his gun and threatens to shoot Kitty, but is instead shot by one of the uh, nearby police officers who was offering security. And that ends the immediate threat of Stryker, but the purifiers are, are still going on. The story ends with this conversation between Magneto and the X-Men. Magneto almost lures Professor X to his side to start trying to fight for mutant rights Magneto's way. But Professor X opts to stay with his students who have expressed enthusiasm for... Well, not enthusiasm is the wrong word. But they express a desire to fight for justice, fight for equality, using good methods. They, they say that the means matter as much as the ends. And that's kind of the end of the story. Now, the version that is available on the app is bookended by this story of Kitty Pride, an older Kitty Pride, obviously, uh, you know, much older, visiting this girl and kind of telling her the story from, you know, it, it, it's a flashback of Kitty Pride telling this girl about Magneto. Isn't clear to me why that's there. It doesn't feel necessary. doesn't feel like it really adds anything. Uh, and I didn't actually recognize whether this girl was a significant character or just someone that I wasn't familiar with. So, I don't know. I think she shows up in some of the X-Men stuff that was going around at that time that this was remastered, I guess. And, okay. and her name is Wildcat, but I couldn't... I That didn't ring any bells with me. Or at least that was her mother's call sign, so likely going to be her superhero name. But I don't know the character, and sorry, didn't didn't look that up. Yeah, well, neither did I, so I'm not going to criticize. Uh, so anyway, that was God Loves, Man Kills. Uh, Marvel graphic novel, therefore a capital V, capital I, capital S, very important story. What did we all think of it? I, I, I mean, it's a tough read because it's just a real bummer and hits so many problems that we see today with people just entrenched in their beliefs and not willing to, you know, if it's different, it's bad, you know, they, they don't want to see the other side and they, uh, you know, I, it was, it was tough, but just a really good story just really well written and just how it gets to that point when, you know, professor X is, is really about to turn, you know, and it's it's we've we've fought for this long, we've struggled so hard, and when what it, what else can we do? Look at this, look at this opposition, and his students, you know, kind of remind him of what he always taught them, and I think that like all of that, just it's like the core of the X Men all through this. Um, I'm mm -hmm. trying to go back and read what comes after House of X, Powers of X, and 
it's it's so different, you know. But any right. any of the best moments of that, I think, are where they kind of touch and uh, on you know the struggle of mutants, you know, um, it, you know, protecting and fighting for a world that hates and fears them. Yeah, Claremont X Men and Hickman X Men are very very different stories. Mm-hmm. This is peak Claremont X Men, or at the very yeah. least, if it's not peak, it's like quintessential, right? Yeah. This is this is what those books are about. Yeah. Uh, Kitty Pride drops the N word. Oh yeah, sure does. Yeah. <laughs> Our version of it is censored. Thank goodness. Yeah, this I think is she's censored. she's trying to make a point, and it's like, okay, I get what you're saying, but you can't. No, no, no. Straight up, the weakest part of the story. Like, I if, since since you went there. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the early scenes is kind of setting up the characters shows Kitty Pride coming out of her, I think it's a dance school. Um, and the woman who's running the dance school, I'm not I'm not familiar enough with the X-Men to remember her name offhand. Her name is Stevie. She is a recurring character. I know that much. Stevie is black and one of her other dance students is is talking up Stryker, talking about how great Stryker is and starts making fun of Kitty Pride and... Uh, Rasputin, or Rasputin, um, technically his name, uh, you know, Peter uh, Colossus shows up and, you know, starts trying to defend everything, you know, they're trying to defend the mutants uh, because they are mutants. I don't think the kid knows that they're mutants, but he starts calling a mutie lover. And so when Stevie's trying to get Kitty to calm down, Kitty turns to her and says, you wouldn't be reacting this way if he had called me an N-word lover. And, like, yes, I get the point, but I feel like that point is for the white audiences. I feel like a black woman would know and would have a different response than, than the one that Stevie has. Yeah. So, yeah, weakest part of the story to me. I, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it the weakest, but, I mean, because she does make, I don't know, I feel like she makes a very good point, doesn't deliver it in the best way. She says the word and then runs away, like... You can't do that. Stand your ground. But, I mean, she does bring up a point, right? Because I feel like she does. Because she's... Stevie's telling her, like, calm down. It's just words. It's just words, right? And when she leaves, Stevie does have that moment where she's like, she's right, though. Like, if this was that situation that was affecting me directly, I would not be reacting the same way I am right now. Uh, could it have been handled a little bit more elegantly? Yes. I don't think it's necessarily the weakest point, in my opinion. I have seen a lot of criticism from like the black community about that scene. And again, I have seen conversations co- coming from both sides on it. But that's not really my place to, you know, criticize that scene. Um, for, me, it land- for me, it landed well. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's just one person's yeah. opinion. And to be clear, when I say it's the weakest part of the story, I, I'm not entirely sure that it's... Bad is not the word I would use. I, it just rings a little bit false compared to some of the other stuff we get. Like, it's, it's too heavy-handed, it's too on the nose. And again, I don't think that, you know, a black woman who is friends with an oppressed minority group would have that reaction to that exchange. I, I just, yeah. that didn't ring true to me. Yes, I agree with but, you on that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, part of what makes that scene stand out as being so, like, heavy-handed and so inelegant 
is how elegantly other aspects of the story are presented. Like, Kitty Pride is a minority on multiple fronts. In addition to being a mutant, she is Jewish. And her Jewish identity is never discussed, but she is prominently wearing, like, a Star of David throughout. And so these questions of, like, identity and intersectionality you know, they're addressed, but in very, very subtle ways. So it makes this one moment, this one, like, really inelegant moment, really stand out as, as you know, the, the story is capable of doing so much better that this sticks out a lot more. Do you think it was, like, shock value? Well, no, I don't think it was dropped in there for shock value because at the time when it was written... I think people threw that word around a lot more than like well they you shouldn't but I wonder if it wasn't censored right I don't know I, I mean it's censored here right. was that not part of the original No in the original I don't believe so Yeah the original oh, yeah. It's, it's spelled out yeah Yeah So yeah, but no. like I think that to your point John we treated the word institutionally different than we do now mm-hmm. Yeah Yeah and I don't think this is a classical enough text like Tom Sawyer uh, where I think there's enough of a benefit to not censor it. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see your point. I, 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 yeah, I see your point. Yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. This is my first time reading it, but yeah. yeah. This is... I, I want to say I've read it once before, but mm-hmm. so much of this was borrowed from... Um, or borrowed for the uh, X2 movie. Yes, yeah. I felt that a lot. And I, I didn't want to like this. talk about that too much because I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we hit, you know, well, in, in the movie adaptation, I feel like we hit that too much sometimes, but... Um, it's unavoidable here, I it, think. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. he's like a, you know, paramilitary dude with an axe to grind and they made his son survive and uh, turn out to be like... One of the characters who I think was in the Hellfire Club, um, one of those mutants was they like made him his son. I don't know Striker's like um, later. Con- I forget like he pops up a lot with the X Men, but I don't know if. Yeah. I thought um, I mean not that it's important to the story, but I thought his son in the movie was Xavier's son from the comics. No, okay. Xavier's son from the comics is um, uh, David Legion. Holler. David Holler, right? Yeah. And in the in that, the movie, it's um, oh now I gotta look it up. He's one of the guys a, in uh, yeah. Dark it's Phoenix. It's been at least fifteen years for me since I last saw X two. So yeah. same in my Hard. mind, it still holds up. It makes me not want to go back to it. You know, at least it doesn't. At least it doesn't have the infamous line of do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck oh. by lightning? <laughs> I I think like. Angela Bassett should have been Storm, and she still could be, because she killed it in both of the Black Panther movies. So, like, she can do comic book movies. Um, and, like, I remember, like, I think her name was, like, one of those, like, oh, they might cast, they might cast, you know, and, and then we got Halle Berry. Uh, kind of moving on a little bit from that, if, if that's okay with the group. Uh, I will say that this story did hit really close to home for me. Um, especially, specifically, specifically in reference to like the 2016 election cycle. Oh no, here we go. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Jason, Jason Wingard, mastermind. Sorry. I found it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Was it 2016? Was that the Trump, the, the initial Trump that was, cycle? That was, that was Trump part one. Yeah, yeah. So in the 2016 election cycle, as somebody who is Hispanic and, you know, specifically Mexican, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of hateful rhetoric about Mexican immigrants coming from Trump in a lot of the rallies, you know, talking about uh, they're sending over their killers and thieves and whatever, all that stuff. And Spoiler alert. He's yeah. still doing that. Oh, yeah, still. Very much so. It's worse. So a lot of that rhetoric, you know, at the time, you know, did make me uh, quite fearful. Uh, prior to those years, I had this kind of beautiful poncho that I received from Mexico. Like, it's like an authentic poncho. I would wear that every winter because oh. it's nice and thick and it's it's perfect. And I have my arms and it uh, looks really nice. I feel like I've seen you wear that. Yeah, that was the very first year of my life I was afraid to wear that poncho in public. I had kind of retired it, and I think it was probably until like maybe 2021, 2022 that I started wearing it again. Uh, granted, COVID happened, so I haven't really left the house in the wintertime much, so I don't really, <laughs> there's not a lot of reason for me to wear it. But that was like a, uh, like a legit, like a legitimate fear. Like I didn't want to go out be even more identifiable than I already am and, you know, be subjected to some sort of, you know, violence or attack or, or anything like that. That was, that was a legitimate fear that I, that I felt. And, you know, watching the mutants here reacting or, you know, X-Men's, uh, Xavier school of mutants, uh, seeing the people, the main cast, you know, kind of talking about their fears and not just there specifically, right? But we're seeing the fears that are happening or the horrors that are happening to non-X-Men mutants. The two uh, the two kids oh. who were killed at the beginning of the story. Oh, gosh, I had to block that out. Fires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, to me, really reminded me of like the Minutemen who were, you know, assassinating Mexican immigrants crossing the border. Uh, and I, I think they still are to this day. Um, so like a lot of that stuff hit really close to home and granted, this is not like a unique experience to me. I think a lot of the the notes in it hit hard specifically for me because of those two correlations, but kind of looking obviously like at modern day politics, a lot of the rhetoric against, you know, LGBT plus people, um, specifically coming from like a church group, right? Yeah. A lot of that stuff hitting you know, it's it hasn't changed, unfortunately. No. And, and I thought that was unfortunately well done because it still rings true today. Like, the idea that this book was written in, like, 1966 and when we're watching Stryker's big, you know, televised event, I mean, that just felt like a Trump rally. That really yeah. did. Yeah. There, there's always going to be an other, and there's always going to be people who hate whoever the mm-hmm. other is, and I think that's right. why X Men resonates. Now, this this one um, uh, came out in the eighties, though. Um, was it not sixty six? Because I thought this was like the fiftieth anniversary type thing. Then it would have been well, seventy six. But that I, that Claremont didn't write. Well, um, hang on. Let me I'm look this it. up. So I mean, X Men were like they started in sixty three. The X Men oh, right, are barely right. that old. Right. Yeah, the, but I mean, this is like mid eighties, probably. 
me see. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it was like the 25th anniversary. Mid to late 80s. Um, it feels like a later era Claremont to me. 82. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So I was just way wrong. Okay, 82. <laughs> That's all right. But it does, like, this is wrong. kind of like, I don't know. It's such, it's like a, like a tentpole kind of like, uh, just, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bummer, but it is a, like a really well done story. Right. And it's, yeah. So obviously, you know, this story hit close to Aldo. Uh, it hit me pretty hard too for, uh, from like the opposite end of the spectrum. Cause I mean, we talked about this last week and we talked about, uh, Orson Scott Card and his kind of vile views on on homosexuality. Uh, I again am a religious person. I find a lot of value in practicing faith. I find, you know, I believe in a in a loving God, and that sort of thing is really it's really important to me. But I I look at religion as like a practice as a thing that you do practically to help yourself be a better person. And at the same time, religion is often administered through institutions. And institutions have a lot of value and are also highly susceptible to this sort of like ethical rot, very similar to what we see Stryker doing here. And so reading God Loves, Man Kills there's this almost, to use the loaded language, to use the religious language, call to repentance. Like, hey, if you, if you are going to be a religious person, you need to acknowledge the harm that is done, you know, in the name of your God, in the name of your Savior. Or, you know, since we're talking about religion as sort of a human institution, as, you know, something that's made up of uh, horrible, fallible little meat sacks... Uh, in your name, and you got to do something about it because it's not going to get better if you don't. That's the problem with uh, the religious zealots, you know, Stephen. They're not sending their best. Oh dear. <laughs> oh goodness. I'm one of the first people to make the joke about how X Men doesn't really work, right? Because you know, a, a Jewish minority does not have the power to, um, you know release optic beams or teleport a dinosaur into the middle of Times Square or whatever wacky mutant power exists. Uh, <laughs> which, if there isn't a mutant who can just teleport a T-Rex into the middle of wherever they're at, um, I feel like they're dropping the ball on that a little bit. <laughs> yes. But I think this is one of those books that shows the concept. This concept works, and it can work well. And I think this is a good one. And I think for me, what really seals the deal on, you know, X-Men or mutants as an allegory for, for you know, um, suppressed minority classes and wherever in the world is the fact that we see innocence. We see people who are not X-Men, who are not trained and equipped to fight Galactus or whatever other threat comes to attack the Earth. We see people who either, you know, don't even know that they're mutants. We see people mm -hmm. who maybe do know, but aren't, you know, activated yet or whatever terminology you want to use for it. And we see how helpless they are. We see like the horrors that are inflicted on people who are not warriors per se. And yeah. I think for me, that was really important in this book because it's, 
like I said, it's easy to make that joke when you're talking about X-Men, right? Because at the end of the day, like, Cyclops is just beating Che Guevara. Like, he's a military guy. He's, you know, that's his whole shtick is he's the commander. He, like, leads people, you know, combat simulations, blah, blah, blah. But to have, like, two kids who had to see, like, their parents die and, you know, are faced with their murderers with at gunpoint with the inevitability that they're going to die for a reason completely outside of their control like it's powerful like it's really good stuff i wouldn't call it good stuff that okay. bit heckin sucks <laughs> powerful yeah, storytelling okay. i get yeah. your i concede your point it is important <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the yeah. story <laughs> and it serves its purpose well i just i i can't i yeah. can't i hate that stuff yeah Aldo wasn't like, ah, yes, sitting in his high back chair in front of the fire going, lovely, yes, murder of children, ah, yes. just what I Jeeves. want in my light reading. Yeah. <laughs> Jeeves, present me another book in which the children die. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Jeeves, don't do it. <laughs> no, I, have an original, I have an original printing of Hansel and Gretel. Ah, splendid. <laughs> Bring that with a double Big Mac at the Coke. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will say what one of the standout lines for me in this book, which I think there's quite a bit of really good dialogue in here. I think we mentioned the the conversation between like Cyclops, Xavier, and Magneto, where they're talking about you know Charles kind of giving up on his way to do things, and he's like, yeah, you know, maybe Magneto's right. You know, screw it, let's uh, let's become genocidal maniacs. I guess is Magneto has like this really good line that I really like, which is like once more genocide in the name of God as a story as old as the race. Like, man, like I got, I got chills from that line. I was like, man, this is one of those moments where you're like, I oh, mean, Magneto has a point. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it really, really does. Yeah. And I think one of the things I like about this book too is, is it shows again, Magneto is, the villain of the X-Men, right? Like, that's not really a question. Well, I mean, nowadays it is, right? Because he's all buddy-buddy on their Mutant Island, whatever. But the idea that, like, you know, the, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or whatever, and, you know, they are the villains, they're the bad mutants, and the X-Men are the good mutants, blah, 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 which is eh, a little dangerous when you think about it. But... Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but when he gives his speech to Cyclops after they, they rescue Cyclops and Storm and Ileana. And he's telling them, he's like, listen, we want the same thing. He's like, I want a world of peace. I want a world where we don't have to fear for our lives, where, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm planning on tackling this by tackling all of the fundamental things that that create an environment of fear. You know, poverty, uh, hunger, all, the, all these things, right? And he's talking about that stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's... It's a reminder that he's not just, you know, evil old guy. Um, he has a reason, and there's a reminder of that. Like, it's a powerful reason. And this man has seen, you know, enough of his kind, of his people, you know, suffered on, on several different occasions, on different intersectionalities of, of suffrage. And, like, I, I just, I like that. Like, that just felt really really strong it was mm -hmm. just a reminder that like he's not just a cartoon villain even though he's literally a villain who is a cartoon but just a reminder that like 
it's not as black and white as it seems. Like, they're pursuing the same goal just by different methods. Which, again, makes the idea of Cyclops saying that the that the way you get to the goal is just as important as the goal itself. Right. Yeah. Man, this is a good book. I'm sorry. This is just it's, a... This is like, really good. <laughs> it was a really good book. I the really only... like this a lot more than I, I thought it would. This goes on a list of like, when I was a kid and I would check out comics from the library, I got books that I didn't get. Like I read them and I thought this book is boring and I put it away and I didn't get it. This one, so God Loves Man Kills and Batman Year One are the, oh. are the ones that first popped to mind. It was like, I read these books and I'm like, I don't get, I don't get what makes this good. I don't like it, and so I just put it away. And then I only coming back and reading it as an adult, am I like, oh, 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 I get it. Of course, with Batman Year One, that's a very different sort of getting it when you're older. It's just a more low-key adventure story versus this, which is a story with a capital P point to make. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a good story. I'm, I'm really excited to discuss it on the ranking, but... Um, I guess before we move on, does anybody have anything else they want to say about it? I don't know if the bookends add anything really. Like I was expecting yeah. more from it. Um, I guess it doesn't really hurt it, but it's also like, eh, I don't know. Um, the more I read of Shadowcat, the more I like her. So or Ariel. So. Oh yeah, Kitty Pride is 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 an all time great X Men character. Yeah. She's really great in the Krakoa era. One of, one of Claremont's like favorites. The Ariel costume is an all-time terrible one, though. I will yeah. say that. It tells us nothing it's about the bad. character. You know? it, yeah. it's, it's pretty bad. I get what the bookends are trying to do. Like They're trying to show that... like, you know, They're trying to explain this story to a modern or a newer audience, right? Like It kind of feels like, hey, bud, if you didn't get the point, here it is. Um, they're redundant though it, it is yeah. but I again I don't know I think if you're trying to introduce this book to maybe somebody who's I don't know I don't know how younger how much younger but I don't know it might it might be helpful I don't know it does feel redundant I do think funny enough that the Xavier that we see in our next book actually kind of makes a better I don't know reflection continuation of like the Xavier that we see in here like, like I thought that was a little bit more poignant to this book than the bookends were in in this book. Interesting, interesting. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I want to unpack that point a little bit more. Okay, that is the second time I've heard that sentence this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's, it, it's something in the business zeitgeist. We just use that terminology now when we talk business. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I heard that from my manager at work. I, I made a comment, and he's like, let's. Let's unpack that point first before we continue the conversation. I was like, okay. Side side note, we would we would mess with my dad because like he would like you know call us like we'd we'd be out you know me my older sister my other sisters like out with friends and he would just call and be like, hey, what's your status? Huh? I'm I'm at you know Chris's house. Oh, okay. Well, make sure to touch base with me if you uh, head somewhere else. You know, like he was using business terms. 
you know, trying to pair it and like, you know, like, just just check in, you know, to make sure you're okay. But it was always touch base. Would you like to ask if that. I have anything to add to the agenda? Yeah, it's like, well, Dad, uh, let's circle back to my curfew later because uh, right now my friends and I are uh, in the middle of a Halo match. But uh, if we can connect <laughs> at some point, whenever is good for you about uh, that extra half hour you know, this is 100% how I'm going to talk to my kids when they get older. <laughs> not not by choice. It's just going to happen. It's going to, and I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah, let's, like. Let's circle back to that and let's reprioritize it on the list of uh, things that we have to complete this week, please. <laughs> All right, put a pin in that. Yeah. Yeah. Table uh, that for now. <laughs> on, on a side note to your side note, this reminds me that the. I don't know if you guys work uh, have worked in like a scrum environment, which is like I, I know it's a tech thing. I don't know if that like rugby out to you guys. No, like I don't from... want no scrum. Scrum is a guy who can't get no love from me, hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride, trying no. to, trying to holler, at holler at me. I don't scrum. want no scrums. I'm just gonna skip that. Uh, scrum is like is <laughs> just got like a two week delivery cycle. It's pretty common in tech. Oh, um, I thought a scrum was a guy who thinks he's no. Fly. You've heard the joke. <laughs> um... <laughs> And so it's just kind of a way that you do things. Like you, you have a sprint review, you have a sprint planning, retrospective, your meetings, your commitments, blah, 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 blah. I saw a book at Barnes & Noble one time that was like, how to incorporate uh, how to incorporate Scrum into your dating lifestyle. And I just... Don't kept, do it. I, I, that's what, that was my first reaction. But my second reaction was like, <laughs> I kind of want to buy this book just to see how ridiculous it gets. Um <laughs> Oh, goodness. Because I, I have enough scrub in my life at work. I don't need that in my relationships. <laughs> all all zero of them. Um. The minute you start talking about scrum in your dating life, I'm pretty sure that there's a pill for that. <laughs> all right. I think it's time to move on. I think very clearly we are ready to talk about uh, our next story. Uh, scrum yeah. is also known as a busta, just in case you're curious. <laughs> Uh, I love it. Okay, so we read X-Men, Worst X-Men Ever. This is written by Max Bemis, Bemis, uh, pencils by Michael Walsh, inks also by Walsh, colors by Ruth Redman, letters by Clayton Cowles, who I believe is also from that company that has all the letters. VCs. Virtual calligraphy. Thank you. Max Bemis... I don't know how you pronounce it. I like saying Bemis. I think Bemis. A... With... <laughs> I don't think that's yeah. the real pronunciation. I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he's the lead singer and member of the rock band Say Anything in Two Tugs. Uh, two bands I am not familiar with, though I did listen to them for the podcast. And I would just say that uh, I think even high school Aldo would have said, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just kind of felt like Kroger brand Fallout Boy, uh, or you know, whatever. Anyways, I know there's people who love them. Uh, I'm not one of those people. Anyways, this is a five issue miniseries from 2016. This covers a our character named Bailey Hoskins, who is the most normal, average, unimportant, uninteresting person ever. The book doesn't say that. I do. And he <laughs> is just kind of trying to be interesting. He's trying to get a date. He's trying to go to like a school dance. In the middle of this, his parents reveal that his, that they are mutants, and they've kind of kept that from him. They 
they very they very apparently make comments about being in the closet and all that stuff very like cringe i thought it was very appropriate for parents and i can't wait to hear you two talk like that anyways <laughs> they take him over to xavier's school to find out to make sure that he does have the x gene and, and if he does have it what is what his mutant power is they find out that he has the power to blow up himself just once he, he can control the strength the shape the size of the explosion but that's it he doesn't regenerate like one one trick pony quite literally and he's very bummed out about this because obviously he doesn't have a like a cool power and as they're leaving his parents are crushed by a sentinel in a scene that i imagine would be sadder if everything wasn't so colorful and so he Decides to stay at the Xavier school. He kind of trains, sort of reluctantly trains to become an X-Men. You know, he, he's just a normal average dude. He's not particularly athletic. They make a suit for him that they tell him he'll, you know, once he has some training and experience, he, he can take it. Uh, uses it during an attack and scares one of the purifiers, actually, funny enough. Purifiers coming up in both of these stories. Scares a purifier who is running away and gets the school sued for emotional trauma <laughs> for this purifier. We were there. We were there to do a hate crime, not to be <laughs> scarred. <laughs> yeah. So Wolverine doesn't like him because in order to pay that off, uh, they apparently had to reduce Wolverine's alcohol fund by ten percent. So yep. yeah. Yep. So they try him out on a bunch of different teams. So we have a little, uh, you know, compilation of him, just one panel compilations of him being on different teams and kind of annoying and bothering everybody and just being uh, a more obnoxious version of Miss Marvel fanboy type thing for the, all things X-Men. And eventually meets this girl named Miranda, who has the mutant ability to create and disappear things from reality. And when he kind of takes her to the school and recruits her, uh, Beast says she's like an Omicron-level mutant, which is the scariest-sounding Greek letter, and he just made that up on the spot. And so her only <laughs> her only condition for being an X-Men is that she, has, she wants to be on a team with Bailey, who is our protagonist. So they put him on a team with her, these two other teens that, are at the school around the same time as he is, uh, Rags and Riches, who are a brother and sister. Uh, Rags being the sister who has the power to like disintegrate stuff and you know break it, and Riches who kind of has a Midas touch; he can turn anything into gold. While this is happening, Bailey's kind of being tempted by the Brotherhood. Um, he's being seduced by Mystique, and then later kind of interrogated by Magneto and and the group. After they mess up, or not mess up, after he gets in a fight with Riches over Miranda using her power to, like, create a well uh, in which she dumps, uh, I think it was Juggernaut, into the core of the Earth, apparently. Um, he gets in a fight with Riches, and, you know, they it's just a fist fight, and they get in trouble, so they get scolded a little bit by Xavier, and Bailey's about to reveal that he's been getting tempted by the Brotherhood, and it turns out that the actual recruit was Riches, who kills Xavier by turning his insides 
into gold. And then we jump, uh, we flash forward into the future. Riches is kind of become Magneto and created this uh, totalitarian mutant future where he and mutants are kind of the upper class and everybody lives in squalor. Magneto was not hip and cool enough, so he didn't benefit from any of this. He's just kind of a bum out on the street now. And Bailey's invited to go to this celebration, like it was like this yearly celebration to just celebrate how cool and great and gold riches is. And so he goes, he meets a, he sees a lot of his old friends there. Uh, he sees Rags. He bumps into Miranda again, who reveals that her powers are not just like creating and disappearing stuff from reality. She can alter reality like in its entirety. She shows that she is the one who has in kind of instrumented all these different reboots, all these different character changes. Uh, she thought Nick Fury was getting a little boring, so she replaced him with Samuel L. Jackson to be cooler. Like that type of oh, thing. <laughs> Which, I mean, you could replace almost any character with Samuel L. Jackson, and it's an improvement, so I see her logic. <laughs> Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson is Mary Poppins. <laughs> Take some sugar with your medicine, mother. <laughs> the devil wears an eye patch. Get these magazines out, pronto. Uh, so he kind of gets mad at Miranda because he realizes that she could have made him cool at any point in time. And she tells him, nope, I can't do that. You have something you need to do. And he's like, this sucks. My life sucks. My powers suck. I, you know, I lost my parents. Uh, everything has sucked and I wasn't even a good X-Men and, you know, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff, right? And kind of takes that moment to go confront Riches and blows up riches, blows up the building, and then she reboots the X-Men universe, and that's that's the story. Um, it gets a little meta at the end. I think she realizes that... I think she is aware that she's in a comic book, and the last page is a letter from Max Bemis to the artist uh, pitching this same book that we just finished reading, so... Um, to the editor, actually. Oh, to the editor. Jordan yeah. White, who was the X-Men editor for... Might still be the X-Men editor? I'm not positive about that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. So, that's how it ends. And that's that's this book. Uh, there's some funny jokes in there. Uh, it tries to be a little sad. It gets a little weird at the end. I liked it. What did you guys think? I thought it was alright. Okay, I'm glad you said you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked it. But, boy, is it uneven. But it is, I think, in... in the end of the day, it's good. But, whoa, pick a tone. Yeah. Yeah. The meta stuff kind of bugged me at the end. Um, and it was a bummer that, like, he couldn't develop his power. Because part of me is like, oh, that would really suck to have that as a power. You know, I was, like, caught up in that. And so um, I felt for the guy being, like, normal, average, boring, ordinary and couldn't do anything about it, but he still ended up being a hero in the end, sadly. Yeah. But, yeah, totally all over the place. Yeah, it's, that's also not a power you can really practice, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, there's some stuff in there that, like... 
again, I, I said this during the synopsis, but, like, his parents' death, it's not played for laughs. It's really not. Like, the way it's framed and everything, it, it is, like, this dramatic moment, right? It does kind of happen out of nowhere. Like, it's literally, like, it is a little cartoonish that you see the shadow getting bigger than Splat. Um, I think the problem, though, is I think this is one of those instances where the art style just doesn't match the tone for that particular scene. Because Beast goes and, like, hugs him and kind of protects him from all of the stuff going on. And, like, the camera's panning out, so he's getting smaller and smaller. Like, by all... On paper, <laughs> ironically enough, on paper, that scene works. It is, like, this dramatic, sad moment to kind of end this chapter on, which is the first chapter. The art style just doesn't help. It's too bright. It's too colorful and cartoony for, like, what that scene is trying to convey. And also a lot of the, the future dystopian stuff still feels a little too, like, colorful. Again, I don't want to say that the art style is bad. It's just, I think the color specifically just did not help with, like, the tone of the scenes. Yeah. Too bright, too, yeah. So here's the thing. I don't disagree with you. And I kind of think that was intentional. Like, I think it's part of, like, what makes this story feel like it has a tone problem. The art style fits the characters. It fits the broad strokes of the plot. It fits the the jocular parts where, you know, it's actually trying to be a little comedic. The dramatic scenes are necessary for this story to work. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they didn't change artist. And I'm actually kind of glad that they didn't, like, lean into the horror of that moment. Because I'm thinking of how another comic might have done it. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm thinking of, uh, I don't know, maybe Afterlife with Archie or something where, you know, you've got these silly Archie Comics characters. And then all of a sudden, you know, the paneling gets very jagged and, and sketchy. And there are big splashes of blood to, to illustrate the horror of people getting eaten by Jughead Jones or whatever else goes on, you know. I think that the story would have been worse for that, weirdly. So, but again, it, it results in this weird sort of tonal problem that I can't help but feel was intentional. Yeah, probably. I like so much of what this book is doing. Is the message of the book is it's okay to be a mass shooter? <laughs> as long as it's the right guy you're shooting against. <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. But no, like... Bailey doesn't take out riches because riches is bad for the world. Bailey takes out riches because he's so mad at everything else. Right? I mean, he, I know we just talked about the means matter as much as the ends, but uh, in this point, does it matter that much? <laughs> okay, but that's actually a real question, because why couldn't she reset the timeline until he blew riches up? Why did it have to wait? I... Yeah, I think the implication is he had to do his important thing. Like she was testing him? I got that feeling where it's like, I know you're a hero, kid. Go blow yourself up. Like, that kind of sucks. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to read the text. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't find, like, a justification, right? Because if he does his thing, which is blow up riches and, in a way, save that world... At the end of the day, it also doesn't matter because right after he does that, she resets the world. Yeah. Right. 
so like why was it important for this kid to lose his parents become uh Wolverine's probably number one enemy and you know suffer this life of mediocrity just to blow up this guy when she could have reset everything well it looks like she says she can't right what are you waiting for? Why haven't you stepped in and changed it all back yet? It's a long story, Bailey. It's embarrassing. Just tell me. I can't. Yeah. So he says, fine, if you won't save the world. And then then he does blow up, Rags, and then she just goes, yeah. there's your answer, Bailey. That's what I was waiting for. I always knew you were the special one. So Yeah, so yeah. maybe the implication is like there has to be a quote-unquote event. There has to be a canon event mm-hmm. in order for her, for her to be able to reshape everything. I don't know. That, yeah, that feels like that could have been explained a little better. I don't know if it's important, but maybe would have helped a little bit? Maybe. Maybe. Um, Ultimately, I think the stuff that's enjoyable in this book isn't necessarily, like, the end. The journey is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, There are low points. I actually thought the tour through all of the different X teams was kind of lame. Yeah, it was all right. I don't... If you are an X-book, even a comedic X-book, I don't think you get to make fun of Cyclops. You don't get to say Cyclops sucks. You have to (laughs) like Cyclops. You know you dislike him too. That was his. Yeah. (laughs) I I did like... I made fun of X-Man too. I did like the... You can hate X-Man. That's fine. Yeah. I did like the part where he talks to Havoc and he's like, I know everybody thinks you're the lamer Scott Summers, but I think your chest beams are actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor yeah. havoc. Yeah, I one of the aspects I I liked about this book, which isn't like it's not the thing that made me like this book, but I just liked it a little bit. The thing was not the in bit, this. This is just a X Men book. It's not a Fantastic Four crossover. John, I have been <laughs> refraining from saying that joke every time Stephen has said. Here's the thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it didn't occur to me till just now. Yeah. <laughs> so. But it's the part with, or the whole little side arc of him being recruited by the Evil Brotherhood, specifically the aspect of, like, Mystique seducing him. Because, you know, she kind of propositions herself to, like, sleep with him, kind of jokingly or whatever, and she makes this crack about, you're barely legal, and I am pushing 30. And I was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know, Mystique, you've been pushing 30 for the last, I don't know, half decade. Um, or half Mystique's century. older than that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Mystique is older than that. Oh like, yeah, much older. I think she's, yeah, yeah, well, much like, much older. Nightcrawler is what, like twenty at least. <laughs> so he's been twenty yeah. for forty years. So sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so yeah, no, but I, I did like that. I did like that. I mean, that's kind of played for laughs. So like, I I enjoyed that bit where she's kind of seducing him. She does like that weird thing about him having a mommy thing, you know, his Ooh. dead mom. That that yeah. was that that one kind of pushed the line. But the whole part with her seducing him, that she kisses him, and she takes that selfie that she's going to use to blackmail him. And then later on when he gets a text message from her telling her to, telling him to to hurry up and, you know, kill Xavier or whatever. And he has her in his contacts as Blue Jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Right? This yeah. This book is funny. It is. He's yeah. orange. Jeez. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> See now, now, yeah. now I'm watching for it. 
I see that. Do now that uh-huh. that was like that was like an icky moment, right? Is that mm-hmm. is that to show how ugh, mystique is to this kid? Is it like gross to include that? Is it both? It's like, I think it's a little bit of both. We want to show that this bad guy is bad. Are we going to have them do things that are like, like you know, super sketch anyway? Like I, I don't know. And yeah. like you know, they, it's weird that they could be murderers, and we're like, well, yeah, they're bad guys, sure. But this is like where it's like, oh, she's like propositioning a kid. That's really, ooh, that's really vile. But like somehow, well, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, to be fair, she wasn't actually propositioning him. She, she did say she was never planning on sleeping. No, with she him. was messing with him, but yeah, it's she's still like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, I will remember Wolverine's blackboard when he's teaching the class. Oh yeah, we're telling them about how Xavier is like a prime <laughs> candidate to get to get kidnapped all the time. Yeah, <laughs> was... but the chalkboard behind him is like clones are the worst. Uh, yeah, Xavier, total <laughs> dick. Avoid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I... And there's just a list of all of the different adjectives that can go in front of X Men. Yeah, <laughs> Legacy, I thought uncanny, astonishing, extraordinary. <laughs> it's real it's, good. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah. Again, I feel like this book. Funny enough, was kind of appropriate to read after God God Loves Man Kills. It was right. It, it, it kind of calls back to it in, in a, a bunch of like little ways. I mean, it made me chuckle because in that on that blackboard, he's talking about Xavier, you know, being kidnapped and how like the people who have access to him, like there's no real restrictions. Blah 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 blah. Right. Uh, when in the book prior, you know, God Loves Man Kills, what happens? He gets kidnapped. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I will say that the little speech that Xavier gives him when he's asking him, you know, what's the plan or what's the point, all that stuff, uh, does feel like a little bit of a growth from that, where he talks about how, like, unfortunately, like, there's no there's no point. Like, he doesn't have a master plan anymore. Like, he doesn't have, like, a big end goal. And then he says how what he fights for is, like, the little moments of peace that can be afforded to to mutants and how mm-hmm. at the end of the day um even if they never achieve his dream the fact that other people will carry that dream and will help more people have more of those moments is kind of what carries them through and like even though you can't make a big difference today keeping those little moments and ensuring more people can have more of those moments and eventually, you know, that blooms up into something bigger is the point. Do you mind if I read that? Yeah, go ahead. I actually took a screen grab of this because it, this moment was, it was really good. Yeah, please do. I, I butchered it, but uh, please fix yeah. it. <laughs> so here's what he says. Uh, the brief, seemingly disconnected moments of joy, of redemption, of connectivity we felt while struggling for peace. I'm not smart enough to know how to really fix things. I just know that in trying, we found family, we found home, we found some strange splendor. That line, to me, really spoke to, like, what... Again, kind of comparing it to the the previous book. um, What is it about the means that makes a difference? Uh, Because the more forceful, you know, to use the loaded term, terroristic approach towards securing rights for mutants uh, 
is arguably more effective at actually achieving those results. But the the nominally more peaceful approach, the one that chooses to recognize the you know worth of the life of the enemy, is one that is edifying to everyone involved. And it's a slower path and it's a more dangerous path in some ways and potentially a less effective path. But it, there's there's a beauty in it that what it does to you. Like the whole Professor X is Martin Luther King and Magneto is Malcolm X thing is just not true. It's not valid. Um, but I think the, the parallel, at least in this moment, is worth calling out because... Um, I don't know, King's uh, use of nonviolence as a strategy uh, was at least in part, I believe, and I might be mistaken about this, but I believe it was at least in part driven by his ideals, uh, his, his background as a you know, reverend, his, his desire to do the right thing on like, the religious level, and how like, inspirational that has been. Martin Luther King and others who adopted these sorts of nonviolent tactics uh, have really changed the world. I think, if I remember correctly, I just read that Nelson Mandela, who you know very famously was the first president of South Africa after the end of apartheid, um, he was a violent radical and consciously adopted nonviolent tactics as a result of Martin Luther King's efforts. So. Like, again, there's just, there is this beauty and this purity to that sort of, like, acknowledgement that the hard path might not get you the results that you want, but it still, or still can be worth it for its own sake. I loved that. And I'm doing, I think I'm doing a pretty poor job of explaining <laughs> why I love it so much, but it's, it's, I don't know, that's powerful yeah. stuff to me. I felt that on an almost religious level. In that comparison... I feel like there are, and maybe it's accidental, but talking about the joys, you know, of friendship and creating a family and finding a community and stuff like that, it echoes the sentiment of, you know, I have a dream of, you know, little black boys and little white kids playing together, right? Right. Because that is part of the bigger image, but to get those, you know, to have two kids of different races at a time when the, that was not really a thing you could see very often um, kind of echoes that like you know that's the first step is getting you know kids to just play together and and live without prejudice and I feel like to a smaller extent right it's not like a direct <laughs> reference to it but I think it echoes a little bit of that sentiment yeah again when X-Men does it well Man, it, it, it does it well. There's, there's, there's one more thing I want to say about this little Professor X speech. Yeah, please do. There's a moment, I think it's the beginning of the same issue, where you have one of those inexplicable X-Men take a break and play baseball moments, and it gets the biggest lampshade hung on it. <laughs> um, it's, it's ultimately not real. Like I think this is a, a part of the brainwashing that Magneto is subjecting Bailey to. But weirdly, Professor X's speech kind of justifies that. The X-Men getting together and having these weird sort of leisure activities, playing sports together, putting together holiday meals, whatever. That is a recurring bit in the X-Men. They do that a lot. 
And Mm -hmm. at the start of the issue, that is presented with some level of cynicism. It's like these X-Men are the elite X-Men. The rest of the school doesn't matter. It's just these ones, their special few in their baseball club are the only ones that matter. And that elitism is, is kind of what Magneto is trying to emphasize so that Bailey will turn on the X-Men. But in the speech that Xavier gives to Bailey, he emphasizes, no, those little moments are really the point because win or lose, we have each other and we are able to build this weird, beautiful, broken little family out of it. It's, it's the end of Lilo and Stitch. I found mm-hmm. this family. It's small and broken, but still good. And it's mine. And it's mine. And it's like, yeah, so those baseball moments, that's the entire point. It just, again, this book is kind of a mess, but when it's good, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. And in tone with, like, what's best about the X-Men, I think. Yeah. You know, because part of it is kind of like, you know, the jokes about the different teams and that kind of stuff and commenting on, well, you just let Rogue back on even though you guys have fought, you know, and what about this and what about that, you know, and then the meta commentary or whatever. But it's Mm -hmm. still dating a kid. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was also the little bit about Rags dating Gambit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Again, it's an une- it's an uneven book, but when it is good, it it really does work. I think. Yeah, I think I I only wish that the ending could have been a little more poignant. It it does feel like I don't know the the ending itself leaves me a little unsatisfied. I don't know. Maybe I wanted more. Maybe maybe that's the point, right? Like maybe that is the point. Is that sometimes you just don't get more. Sometimes you're just dealt a hand, and you just gotta run with it but yeah i don't know again i i I don't mean to make light of the horrible tragedy that is a school shooting but that's kind of what it feels like in the end the the kind of rush to a joke uh results in this ending of a kid who's been crapped on his entire life Mm -hmm. finally just having enough and he's not a kid anymore like he's he's older now yeah he's he's a middle-aged adult he's balding you know that whole thing but anyway this this man who's had just such a hard life finally having enough and choosing to go out in violence like i think ultimately that's going to hold this book back a lot because that is the message is that eventually you just have to act out on that violence and it's okay that i think it's it's i don't think that was intentionally the message um i think that it's the result of having to sit and talk and think about this story for a while. Mm -hmm. But boy, that like, I can't help but walk away from this book thinking it's, it ultimately winds up being kind of nihilistic despite all of that great stuff that, that, you know, happens earlier that professor X brings up all of that. Yeah. You know, I think in a sense, this book is meant to be a little bit more disposable. I agree. <laughs> I think I agree. That's I think fair. we've I think we've soured the book a little bit by thinking on it too much, but <laughs> I also feel like, you know, a lot of books should you should be able to do that. You should be able to to ruminate on a book. I feel like a book should have something to say. And I think the problem with this book is that it, it doesn't quite feel like it knows what it wants to say apart from the punchline. Yeah. Agreed. The the other thing I will say though is for for as bad as like Bailey has it, I didn't feel like the book was 
like, bullying him. Right? Like, he has bad circumstances, but, like, it doesn't feel like he is constantly getting, like, pushed down. He feels like he is part of the punchline, but he is not the joke, if that makes sense. Apart from, you know, riches, you know, he's a jerk. But everyone else, you know, makes an effort to include him, even mm-hmm. though he's he's got the, the worst power, you know. And so... <laughs> He's also kind of not a good person. Yeah. No, he's kind which, of just like superficial about a lot of things. Yeah, like yeah, at the very beginning when, when he's talking about who he wants to try and ask out to the dance and they recommend this girl, poor girl, they his gay friend suggests, you know, this specific girl and he's like her, but she's boring and plain and she wears band sweater. No, she wears college sweaters and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And his friend is just like, uh huh, and who are you, buddy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a little mean spirited. It, it yeah. is, yeah. So like, yeah, he's not totally innocent, but I I did appreciate that the book did not f- feel like it was constantly, like just constantly beating him up. Like there are other books, and I can't. I wish I could think of one right now because I have read at least like two or three books where like the book itself just feels like it is absolutely victimizing the the protagonist for like no real reason it's like why <laughs> yeah but yeah he's just like a jerky teen right he's just a teen really yeah i wouldn't even say jerky yeah. he's just a teen yeah true he just happens to be boring he's not like athletic he's not doesn't have you know super interesting hobbies when he can't figure out a hobby, he defaults to Halo. Like, I can't hate on him. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason one of us here isn't married. <laughs> Wait, <I'm> just saying. <laughs> That's funny you mentioned that. That's like literally what, like, my friends and I were playing Halo and my wife came over before we were even dating or anything. And I, like... <laughs> took the time to talk to her and engage her in conversation while the rest of my buddies were playing Halo. Like, I put down the controller and <laughs> talked to her, and and that was kind of like the start of her noticing me, and, you know, I... I so what I'm saying, uh, hold on, this has come around where it's like, so what I'm saying, Aldo, is quit playing video games if you want to be in a serious relationship. That's not what I meant, but now I'm in this hole, and no, no. <laughs> it's okay, I'll just start hitting the gym. We'll start listening to Andrew Tate podcasts. That'll help. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Yeah, no. There was a moment in this book uh-huh. where, where Beast said something that reminded me of Jordan Peterson. So it's like... <laughs> Is Beast the Jordan Peterson of the X-Men? I think that's a topic for another episode of the podcast. Oh, I hate that. And the answer is probably yes. Oh, I hate that even more. No. (laughs) Why would you do this? Don't blame me. Blame Blame Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. 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 Since we're talking about Beast real fast. I absolutely loved the bit where he's talking about, um, you know, how this dystopian future worked out for a lot of the X-Men and just the you know major characters of the X-Men universe. And I love that Beast just goes to like Africa or something and hangs out with lions while reading a book. It just lets his mutation keep mutating and he's very cat-like with a book and he's just chilling there with a pride of lions. I thought that was adorable. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> I also thought about how much how much John hates uh cat beast. I That's do. Part of what made it funny. I was like, ugh. 
<laughs> yeah, this is this is the darkest timeline because Beast has become Cat Beast. <laughs> what does Beast look like nowadays? Is he still very cat like? I think he's he's more like classical blue furry beast than cat beast. I also think he's evil. Mm. There is an evil like, beast. I think he's going full bad guy. Well, it's not that that's Dark Beast. He's from the Age oh. of Apocalypse timeline. But How silly I think of me. that <laughs> Well, no, he crossed over to the main main X-Men universe and has been running around there as well. Although I think he might be dead now. Um he was in I, he was in the X-Men run right before the Hickman X-Men as a major character and I think he wound up dying there and that was like they got rid of Dark Beast before the Hickman era but um I can't recall yeah, if he's think, in the think, new Utopia stuff well newish he's not because he's, he, mm. he's very dead um but oh, I mean Hank McCoy yeah Hank McCoy regular universe beast is now I think just honestly straight up a supervillain. uh but he was already kind of on the way there anyway after reading 12 Rules for Life. Uh, anyway, Ugh. so let's go ahead and I think we're ready to rank. I feel like we're ready to rank. My heart tells me that we're ready to rank. rank let's rank. Let's rank and stay, yeah. boys. Rank and stay. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> don't, no, that just came out. Sorry. Let's rank and bass. Uh, okay. All right. So currently on our list, we have... 271 stories. We're getting closer uh, to 300, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah. We should do something, like read a special story for 300. We should all get on eBay and find copies of Trouble. <laughs> oh my god. Listen, I will buy you guys copies <laughs> of Trouble. <sighs> How I'm looking this up on Amazon. You guys start the conversation. So, yeah. Uh, 271 stories. X-Men representing pretty well. We don't have an X-Men story in the top 10 currently. Number 12 is our highest ranking, which is the uh, introduction of the Jonathan Hickman era of X-Men. Uh, X-Men do show up quite strongly in the bottom 10. Uh, second to last, lowest, one of the lowest stories on the list, The Draco. Just quite a terrible story. Um, when it's good, it's great, and when it's bad, it's 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 offensive. It's it's you've taken this thing I love and made it crap. Guys, I just want to point out. Sorry, real fast. Okay, so I can't find it by official means, but I have the collection of all five issues of Trouble is like ten dollars on eBay. Dude, if we can get three copies of it, I don't know that I actually want a copy of it on my bookshelf, but I also don't know how else we're gonna read it. Listen, you can give it to me. You can give it back to me when you're done. Uh, and I will make sure to inflict that damage to somebody else. <laughs> For a second, I was like, I can't remember if you guys really like this one or really hate this one. And then I read the synopsis on the back and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, it's so bad, John. It's, it's it, in my it opinion. like hot garbage. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, this is like the room of Spider-Man comics. <laughs> to be clear oh, I've hi, Mark never Millar. read it I only know it by reputation and that reputation has me so curious oh, yeah the, the other part of the reputation is the covers which are real uncomfortable Oof. Uh, maybe I'll borrow it. this one for academic purposes and you guys can own it and 
put it on your shelf. Jeez. Yeah, because the, the covers to the single issues were meant to be like a teen magazine and stuff, but you know that's not who was picking up these books. They're not great. Yeah. They are uncomfortable to own as a 30-year-old man, or really a person of any age. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, so, back to business. Uh, where do we want to rank God Loves Man Kills? Other than high. I think it goes high. The only thing that is, might keep it out of the, like, very highest upper echelons for me personally is that it is such a bummer. I don't know how often I actually want to read it. Entertainment value is something. Because people talk about best of lists and, oh, it's such a classic. Like, my, my go-to example is always when people talk about Citizen Kane. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. And all these filmmaking techniques, blah, 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 blah. Is it as entertaining to watch as, you know, some other, like, old classic film? Like, I don't know. I could watch Casablanca any day of the week. and Casablanca is um, so good. It's really good. I don't know as far as, like filmmaking where they're like oh but the shots that he was doing are so ahead of their time blah 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 whatever uh you know like rear window and vertigo vertigo is an incredible film it's so good as far as like sucking you into the story and you're you're like where is it going to go and all you know the their use of uh, you know camera angles and color and all this stuff is just like so well done Rear Window is a much more fun movie to watch you know still Jimmy Stewart it's still uh, Hitchcock, um, but as far as like excellent filmmaking, you know, eh, it, you know, Vertigo is in a category all of its own, right? Um, God Loves Man Kills, classic X Men story, really important, really good, not as entertaining as you know some of this stuff in our top ten. Um, yeah. I blame that on um, what is it? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Where you know we're we're having some of the same problems again today still and yeah. and will continue to have them. Yeah, if it was yeah. up to me and me only, I would definitely put this up in the top ten, probably like at number ten because of the entertainment value. But since we're factoring the entertainment value, uh, maybe not as equally as like the prestige and the history and the craft here, I would put this. Like right above, uh, Death of Electra, which is like number fourteen. I don't hate that placement. I'd still go higher. The, like make the make the argument. I I I'm that's me conservative. The problem high. is, <laughs> the problem is, um, boy who would be Spider Man is Miles Morales, right? Mm -hmm. Is that his actual introduction, or is that just like the best of that run? I think that's, like, the first of that's his... That's the introduction. Yeah. Well, no, because his introduction is in Death of Spider-Man, isn't it? Sort of. Like, yeah. this is... It's actually the origin story. Yeah, though. this is the origin. Yeah, this is the beginning of his run. Right, right. Mm -hmm. you, you know, now that I'm looking at those and factoring in, like, entertainment or whatever, because, like, Spider-Island is, is uh, fun... And mm -hmm. the art's so dang good. I just love Umberto Ramos' style, as I've said, uh, I don't know, every fifth episode of the show, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah spider Island then... was Stefano Caselli. Oh, I thought it was both. What? Probably both. I That's who I have on the list there. Well, shoot. <laughs> it's probably, good art. Probably in there. Anyways, yeah, it's good um, art. Oh, yeah, he does do that. Yeah, he does do that. Yeah. So that kind of... Oh. 
Yeah, and Dawn of X Prelude is just such a good book. Yeah, I would put it right under that. I would put it above Triumph and Torment, even though, yes, I know that's Mike, Magno- Mike Mignola. Um, this is, I mean, this is, you know, excellent work from Claremont. Um, really important. Yeah, for a book from the 80s, I did not hate reading it. Mm-mm. Which is rare, and didn't feel as wordy as most Claremont books. I think there was a real you know. confidence in like a lot of the visual storytelling. Yeah. Granted, every panel does have like at least one word bubble in it, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I I am okay with that. Try try the tournament, which one was that one? That's Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange team up to uh free Doctor Doom's mom from hell. Oh, okay. And it's drawn by Mike Mignola. And it rules. It's a good book. It is. <laughs> uh, so how do you feel about that? Above Triumph and Torment or below, Steven? I would, if it were me, I'd put it right below. Um, but that's pure, like, I'll be frank, it's it's pure selfishness of not wanting to be uncomfortable with the book sometimes. <laughs> I think you're the decider the than the all more about just Which one am I more likely to take into the bathroom with me? <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want to read God love man kills while you're taking the dookie. That feels disrespectful to the book. <laughs> just, you know, just dropping the kids off at the pool and suddenly Kitty Pride drops the N-word. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, man, there's a good argument for both. I don't I don't know. Um let's just say above. Okay. I'm not going to fight it because again this is a this is a good book. It's just a bummer, but being a bummer doesn't make it bad. It just makes it a bummer. Yeah. yeah. Again, probably one of one of the best uh comic books I've read in a very long time. Mm-hmm. This is one where okay, people who don't understand comics, this is one you can point to and say, read this and then tell me that, you know, these are kid stories or these are not important or, you know, can't be mentioned in the same breath as literature with a capital L, mm-hmm. you know. Right, yeah. Might be the most literary book we've read. More than Parable? Podcast. I was thinking about that. Oh, yeah, Parable. Parable. I would say yes. Um, Interesting. Parable's, okay. more, Parable's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Surprisingly interesting to watch Galactus just stand in the middle of a park. Well, especially when he's drawn by Mobius, right? Yeah. It's, it's really good art. And yeah, <laughs> it... Oh. Um, I've been thinking about where Worst X-Men Ever goes. Good, because I have no clue. It <laughs> So, tonally it's a little jokey, but it also has a lot of heart. And... Um, the art, the looser style, I enjoyed, though sometimes it didn't feel as, like, finished or polished, but I think maybe that was what they were going for. Um, I'm around 100, but, like, looking a little above that to see, you know, can it go any anywhere? I don't know. The Thanos Annual, where <laughs> um, yes. there's a whole great story where Thanos just ruins this kid's birthday every year because he's he's a he's just evil. <laughs> um, that's funny and touching in moments. You know, that's at ninety eight. Um, 
A Babies versus X Babies is at 103. That's just silly fun with, you know, interesting art um, with uh, Gurihiru. Um, somewhere around there. Yeah. But like I, it. Yeah. I have like a hard ceiling on like Magneto Infamous, which is like 91. So, I mean, uh-huh. which is higher than you. So, I'm just kind of backing up what you're saying. Uh, as much as I like this book, and as much as I really, really quite like that, that Charles Xavier speech about what the point of the whole fight is, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that saves the book as a whole. The book is fun. No. And this is like this is like a real fun area. Like this is where Mary Jane and Black Cat is, which is my new ceiling. Um, <laughs> it's Jeff. Like it's Jeff jumped out at me on this list. Where, where is I like, Jeff? That's at 83. So that's still oh, much okay. higher than I yeah, think yeah. It, it needs to be. But that's kind of where I started. Like, okay, okay, we're getting there. Yeah. You know, somewhere around here. I would, I think I would put it above, um, probably probably as high as I would go is 99, where it's Civil War, War at Home. Because mm-hmm. that's, correct me, is that where it's, um, is that the Spider-Man tie-in? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it it that's my that's my ceiling now. Um, my my ceiling is one hundred six. Mary Jane and Black Cat. I said that as a joke, but like that that book is yeah. fun. It's really that fun. It, it's no, really it's good. Good, good art uh, and it's fun. Um, Secret Secret Invasion and Modox Eleven are like where I'm like this feels like this would fit right in those right. Secret Invasion mm-hmm. does have a little bit more. It's a bit more of a serious book. Modox Eleven is a really fun book. So maybe like in between those, like at one hundred eight. I you know yeah, because I I just now glanced below A Babies versus X Babies. That's where Thor's Battle World is, and I think that story worked better for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, than uh, World's Worst X Men. You know. Yeah. So. Which, you know, we know we know Doom is like one of the best comic book characters written, and the fact that he decided to take. All of these multiversal Thors is like his personal private cop army. Excellent, excellent choice, that, my leash. Super cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I concede. Yes, we can drop down below Mary Jane and Black Cat. Um, that was solid. I would. Uh, I like Secret Invasion. Wait, that's. So that's the scrolls. Yeah, I was thinking it was the the Daredevil or the um, sorry Deadpool tie-in of Secret Invasion, which I think I suggested, but I don't think we've read yet. Hell, uh, I don't yeah. think we've read that. Yeah. It is goofy, silly, fun to me, but oh, nice. that'll be another time. Um, yeah, I would put I would put this I would put put this there. Stephen, do you have a strong place? No, I actually think one hundred and eight is is pretty good. Um, yeah. It's in the I like it section of the list. But not, you know, I don't think it's in a, a part of the list where we'd be embarrassed to admit that we, you know, have it ranked that high. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, not like yeah, race no. out and get every copy of it, mm-hmm. you know, like have it in hardcover and as a trade and, you know, whatever. But still good. Right. I, I feel good about yeah. 108. Now, yeah, now that, now that I've read it, I actually do want to go out and buy a hardcover of God Loves Man Kills. Like that yeah, feeling. it it's it yeah. kind of feels like one you should own. Yeah, it should go next to Dark Phoenix on the shelf. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's actually a little bit more essential than Dark Phoenix in its way. 
Yeah. If you're if you're into the lore, yeah, sure, fine. Dark Phoenix is is probably more important. I but, believe you know I am into the lore, Stephen. But go on. Right. <laughs> yes. But God loves man kills is is like. What are we more, trying to say like, with this X-Men? is what the X Men is about? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's not. This is um, the well we are going to draw from as as many times per generation as we can. The Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah. So we got to wrap this up. My headset has now died twice while we've been recording. Um, so for our next episode, we are hopefully going to have something a little bit lighter. Uh, we're going to read six issues from the 2019 Black Cat series. Five issues, sorry. Five. Excuse me. We're going to read five issues from the 2019 Black Cat series. Feels like it's supposed to be really recent. That was five years ago. That was so long ago. Oh. <laughs> Follow that up with five issues of... Peter Porker, The Spectacular Spider-Ham by Zeb Wells, also from 2019. So hopefully more lighthearted. I hope we don't find out that, you know, Spider-Ham has a crippling drug addiction and has to go through rehab or whatever. <laughs> uh, he's uh, actually issue two is he goes to court to uh, to not pay alimony. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, no. What a I'm going to have a hard time with this. <laughs> Spider Hamaloni. <laughs> <laughs>